So since year one, we were not only carbon neutral, but carbon negative by 3,000 tons of CO2. The biggest issues facing sustainability at origin is getting enough resources in the hands of producers. I think that certifications have helped tremendously to make the industry be where we are right now. Welcome back to the Fifth Wave podcast. I'm Jeffrey Young, Editor-in-Chief of Coffee Business Magazine, Fifth Wave. Over the next few months, in between our regular episodes, we're going to be exploring the theme of ecological sustainability across the entire coffee supply chain. When COVID put the world on pause 18 months ago, humanity had a moment to reflect on our impact on the planet and on our ecology. And people in the coffee industry are ever so aware of how fragile our ecological systems are. Climate change through our carbon footprint, single-use plastics, recycling, water usage, and food waste. These are just some of the key issues for our industry. Simply put, finding solutions to these complicated problems is vital if we want to continue to enjoy coffee in the future. Our aim is to bring you up to speed with how the specialty coffee industry is dealing with these problems, showcase best practice, and offer a glimpse into the future. And we're going to start today by understanding the environmental impact of coffee farming. How much carbon does a coffee farm actually generate? What can we do about related issues such as pesticide runoff or declining bird numbers? Most importantly, what do coffee farmers require from coffee retailers and roasters to support these environmental initiatives? We'll be hearing from Diego Robello, General Manager at Ekeres Estate Coffee, Carlos Ortiz, Vol Cafe Way Manager at Vol Cafe. And we start this episode by speaking with Katie Cargiulo, Western Coffee Manager at Counterculture Coffee. In our interview with Katie, we will soon learn that environmental sustainability can only be achieved through economic sustainability at farm level. By way of background, Counterculture Coffee is a B Corp certified roaster founded in 2005 that today has two roasting facilities and 13 training centers across the US. Katie began her coffee journey 20 years ago after working as a barista in college and joined Counterculture six years later. In 2020, Counterculture sourced 2.4 million pounds of coffee from 18 countries, 71% of which came from farm partnerships of more than five years. Welcome, Katie. Thanks. Thanks for having me. What are the key issues relating to sustainability at Origin that you see? The biggest issues facing sustainability at Origin is getting enough resources in the hands of producers. So I would say financial sustainability, you know, economic sustainability, being able to make enough money from coffee to be able to invest in the other types of sustainability on your farm and in your community. How do you as a coffee roaster get visibility on the sustainability initiatives of the farms you source from? You know, we've made great strides in understanding where all things sustainability stand by using third-party verifiers through this company called Inveritas. And what Inveritas does is, is they operate in almost every coffee producing origin. They send people around to survey coffee farms around the world. 
and they're gathering data about sustainability and all of those aspects that we just talked about. And they're really doing it to get a pulse on the sustainability of the coffee industry. And roasters like us, like Counterculture, can pay for verifications of our specific producers of coffee. And we provide that information to those producers, to those suppliers, so they can sort of see where it is that they stand. And it's a really great way to look at sustainability because it's very comprehensive. It's objective, you know, and Veritas doesn't have a stake in whether or not something passes or fails. And it really, because of the scale that they're working at, they're able to place the performance of a specific farmer in context of global sustainability standards. So what we've seen through that data, of course, is like there isn't necessarily one issue that's affecting all coffee farmers. But I would say that something that has come consistently back is what Inveritas would call sustainable production. So not a lot of coffee farmers, at least smallholder coffee farmers, are producing coffee on the level that one would think of this is a sustainable amount of coffee to produce to be able to run your business really well and create thriving communities. And really the cause of that or the solution to that could be anything from soil health. It could be pest and disease management, things like managing rust and broca. It could be related to their financial ability to be able to afford pruning, which of course takes trees out of production for years in order to allow them to grow back and be more productive. Could be related to water access, you know, if you're relying on rainfall that is more scarce now or if you have irrigation, all of those things. So what are the traits of, you know, the farms that you're buying from? that tick all the sustainable boxes that you want? I guess in an ideal world, the things that we would be looking for in terms of performance is number one in terms of labor, like no forced labor and no child labor. Forced labor is not something that we've seen as an issue in our supply chains, but certainly in some areas of the coffee producing world where that coffee is traded very, very cheaply, for me, something that is really important and that is really tough sometimes to move the needle on is what Inveritas says is families living above the poverty line, which they define as a family having an income above $3.10 a day per person. And that really comes down to coffee prices as well. I'm able to make a living off of coffee, and I would hope that the people producing coffee for us are able to make a dignified living from that. Definitely looking at sustainable production, because that is really something that people see as the linchpin for a lot of the other sustainability standards and investments that people are able to make is if your production levels are sustainable. And then also something that we, that we look at from a company that's deeply invested in environmental sustainability is the idea of pollution. So just wastewater treatment, that the byproducts from coffee, like coffee cherries, are recycled or composted, that trash is properly disposed of. Those types of things are where we really want to see better performance in our supply chains, at least from a baseline, and hope to, to focus on those in the future. So to use the data that your partner in Veritas provides you with to help decide which farmers are no longer viable to work with? Well, we haven't used in Veritas 
information to weed out farmers just yet. That's not an approach that we really want to take just because as a company, if you take that approach, then you just encourage people to hide problems, right? You don't encourage a deep understanding of why things are the way they are and a commitment to changing those circumstances to making it better in the future. Are there any projects or initiatives that you just have been really impressed with recently? Mm, I definitely am excited about transparent trade because although I don't think that transparency is going to sort of solve for all of the sustainability, complex sustainability issues in coffee, I do think that if so-called specialty or sustainable coffee companies needed to be traceable and transparent in order for consumers to have confidence in their products, that would go a long way. And that's really what they're trying to promote through their specialty coffee transaction guide and the types of data that they're gathering and that they're producing for the industry. I'm also really inspired by like all of the different living wage studies that have come out recently, thinking in particular of Azahar's Sustainable Coffee Buyer's Guide and the Fairtrade International also just came out with a study in Colombia specifically about what levels of coffee prices contribute to living wages for farmers. And I really like that both of those start their calculations with farm gate prices. So it really allows a coffee buyer, if they want to, to work their way up in any type of supply chain and figure out how to set like an export price and even working up to roasted coffee prices that encourage those living wages. Thanks so much, Katie, for joining us here today on Fifth Wave. Thank you. So as a coffee buyer, Katie recognizes the fact that environmental sustainability is directly tied to farmer economics and the prices they earn. We're now heading to Costa Rica to speak with Diego Robello, general manager at Aquieras Estate Coffee, to get his perspective on environmental sustainability at farm level. Aquieras is Costa Rica's largest continuous coffee farm, spanning a massive 924 hectares, an area one and a half times as big as Gibraltar. It produces exclusively Arabica coffees for roasters of all sizes globally and operates its own mill. The business has been Rainforest Alliance certified since 2003 and even Carbon Neutral certified since 2016. It is estimated that most of the carbon embodied in a latte comes from cow's milk, followed by the energy used to heat water for coffee brewing. But what is the carbon footprint of a coffee farm? Welcome, Diego. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I'd love you to give our audience some background on your career in coffee and on your coffee farm. Akiat is it's a family business, so coffee is running through my veins since I was born. You know, Akiat is this very unique farm that is also a community. It's quite a large farm, but, but it's really special in, in, in the way that it's, it sits on the slopes of, of the Turiaba volcano. It has this long history, founded in 1890, and this community that grew inside the estate and, and, and it's now an independent community of almost 2,000 people that share this environment, this land between rivers and, and waterfalls and, and the rainforest that surrounds the coffee. And I couldn't avoid that, you know, growing up and 
just being a kid. I remember running around the farm, uh, riding horses, and that eventually led me to study agriculture in, in uh, Cornell University, then graduated and I went into working in the coffee industry, but for another company called Distant Lands. I did that in Costa Rica, Colombia, and in the States. And it was a vertically integrated company that had production, but also had roasting. And it, it really led me to understand uh, the coffee industry uh, from a different perspective and uh, really got to see what specialty coffee was about. I learned about cupping, quality grading, and also trading. And uh, this all led me to bring back a couple of really valuable skills into the family business. And I started working alongside my father in 2013, uh, just as an innovation manager. And, and at this point, you know, I brought all these new ideas of things I wanted to accomplish. And one of them is what we're going to talk about today, you know, carbon neutrality, carbon measuring our footprint. That was one of my main projects since I started in Akiaris. I eventually took the reins as general manager in 2017. So the farm level carbon impact study that you were involved in I wonder if you could give us some background on that. It was intriguing. You know, it was something that was floating around the coffee sector in Costa Rica. And we wanted to understand uh, what was the future for carbon footprint measuring. Um, particularly in Aquiares, we had an experience with a set of scientists from both CIDAD, University of France, and also Katia University in Costa Rica. And they had established a research station inside a coffee plot in Akiaris, a one-hectare coffee plot. And what they did there was they, they established a tower that had all these different sensors. And these sensors were measuring the, the gas exchange between the coffee and the, the atmosphere constantly. And they did this for six years. But the interesting bit was analyzing after a year and, and seeing how much this hectare of coffee was actually absorbing so much CO2, way more than it was emitting. And also how it was turning that CO2 into physical solid carbon, which is, of course, branches, leaves, roots, stems, and even the coffee cherries. So by understanding that a coffee tree is a perennial tree that is a woody shrub that grows and that is turning all this CO2 into carbon, it was pretty obvious that at a massive scale, you would be having a crop that is absorbing way more, more CO2 than it is emitting. But in 2016, there was a program that started in Costa Rica called NAMA Cafe. They had a special program that was funded for mills in Costa Rica to start measuring their carbon footprint and do a carbon emissions inventory. And we were actually the first mill to jump on board on this new project. And we started this, this quest to really understand what was our impact and our footprint? And, and it was really interesting, very introspective process to understand, first of all, what are the boundaries of our production? And of course, we have a large farm and uh, all the emissions that are generated within on a physical level are measured. Um, for example, uh, the main sources of emission were fertilizer use that added up to almost 30%. You know, fertilizers release nitrous oxide, and nitrous oxide is way more contaminant so in, in a way than CO2. We use diesel and gasoline to power our tractors, right? We have a mill that burns fossil fuels in order to generate heat to dry the coffee. So that's another source of emissions. We have a water treatment facility. You know, all the water that we use in the mill, we need to treat it to, to put it back into rivers. And of course, there's 
there's oxidation and fermentation and, and other processes in the lagoon that will release methane and other gases. We have the coffee pulp of, of coffee that when decomposed, even if it's done in a really well, adequate way, where you are aerating the compost pile constantly, there is a, a release of methane. So we added up all of these emissions, which are generated within the farm, and also calculated those emissions that are generated from inputs that we buy. For example, electricity. You know, you, you have to take into account electricity, and, and for that, you have to take into account how is electricity produced in your area or in your country. For example, Costa Rica prides itself in having a really high percentage of our electricity is from renewables. So after doing all of this uh, process, we came up with a number and, and it was uh, surprisingly, well, at the beginning, it was around a thousand tons of CO2 equivalent per year. The thing that we didn't have measured was how much the farm was absorbing. We had a calculation of this research station that we could extrapolate, but it was so much that maybe it wasn't feasible to verify with any you know, government body or anything like that. So we ran a parallel project to measure our carbon sequestration or absorption inventory. It was really interesting, more of a grassroots process there because we established around 33 plots of 200 square meters around the farm. And we did an inventory of the trees that were inside those plots. And these are shade trees. These are not coffee trees. And that was one of the main um, arguments that I was having with the verifying bodies here in Costa Rica is that, you know, we're ignoring coffee. And coffee is, uh, as I said, it's a perennial, it's a woody tree that is absorbing way more CO2 than it's emitting. And because of the international standards, uh, the crop is not taken into consideration. So we only measure the absorption for shade trees. But shade trees are really important in our farm because we produce coffee in an agroforestry system, not a monocrop. And with that, we got to a number of 4,100 tons of CO2 absorbed. So since year one, we were not only carbon neutral, but carbon negative by 3,000 tons of CO2. Wow. So basically absorbing four times the amount that you're producing of CO2. Yes, and that is without taking into account coffee. Yeah. <laughs> so... Man, it might be tenfold. So could you tell us about the shade trees? There are a range of different uh, native shade trees, and we changed. We, we used to be a, a farm that was a monocrop with coffee that was fully sun-exposed. And uh, around 2003, we started uh, looking into other certifications, or, such as Rainforest Alliance. And then one of the main arguments that the certification did was, you know, turning the farm into an agroforestry system. So we started doing that and we've also planted trees that we find have use for other things. So, for example, there's wood trees, you know, trees that we plant in order to harvest wood in the future. And we also plant trees that have a lot of fruits. And these fruits are there in order for coffee pickers when the harvest comes around, you know, they can grab on an orange or an apple. And then we have trees that have fruits for birds and, and for maintaining the biodiversity of birds in the farm. Thanks so much, Diego, for joining us here today on Fifth Wave. Thank you so much for having me and cheers. So it's fascinating to note that shade trees alone on a coffee farm with an agroforestry system absorb four times as much carbon out of the atmosphere as the farm emits. 
One could argue that Akieras is a great example of the importance of environmentally focused certifications such as Rainforest Alliance. The price premium Akieras receives for their coffee gives them an economic incentive to switch to a sustainable agroforestry system. We finished this exploration by bringing back a conversation we had with Carlos Ortiz, manager at Volcafe Way. Volcafe is one of the world's top three coffee traders in volume, and Volcafe Way is a project aiming to increase farmer income and profitability. Carlos speaks eloquently about the connection between the commercial and environmental needs of coffee farmers, and how coffee farms put into practice these environmental initiatives. Welcome, Carlos. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Very happy to be here with you. Carlos, why did Volcafe decide to create Volcafe Way? Why did we create the Volcafe Way? Is because we felt that social and environmental practices were already strongly covered, but economic practices that are linked to agronomy, business administration, and finance were not as, as strong. So if we have to divide sustainability into a pie chart, we would say 33% social, 33% environmental, and 34% economic. And there, that 1%, for example, is what we tried to develop with the Volcafe Way, helping on this overall sustainable profitability, because we feel that without the economic part leading a little bit the way, all the other parts might not be feasible in the long term. There are many coffee certifications, including Rainforest Alliance, Fair Trade, mm-hmm. etc. Do you see a major role for certifications going forward? No, sure. No, no, no. By all means, it's hard and it's tough to be in the certification industry nowadays because they are receiving a lot of criticism and their models are being put at challenge by several players. But On my personal and and professional perspective, I think that certifications have helped tremendously to make the industry be where we are right now. So back in the day, in the late 1990s, nobody was talking about a lot of things that we're talking today, the child labor, the soil erosion, the contamination of the rivers. That was not the case. Uh, You could see that a lot of uh, coffee families that have the, they depulp, so they process the cherries in their farm. They would be throwing the cherry pulp and the water to the river directly, discharging it. And there will be no consequence at all from anybody because we, we didn't know, right? We didn't know better. So I think the certification schemes came to put some rules or guidelines on how to do the social and environmental practices as best as possible. If you go to a region that is certified or a supply chain that is certified versus one that it has never heard of it, you will see more cases than not that the certified supply chain has received any or some type of training. They understand what a personal protective equipment is. They know that they need to protect the environment. They know that they need to pay the minimum wage if they are hiring neighbors. So at least they know what the rules of the game are, right? Certification has also brought some credibility and some type of uh, safety to roasters to say, well, you know, I cannot be buying coffee from a supply chain that 
promotes or doesn't do anything against child labor. You know, I need something that it makes me credible to my audience that is independently done. And that's where certifications also have a good and positive approach to roasters and add value to roasters because they help cover this reputational risk. Now, on the constructive criticism side, some of these certification programs require some guidance or, or aspects to be implemented that are not as feasible as they think. And that's also, again, probably not understanding or knowing the challenges and realities of those communities that they say, oh, yes, the community has to do this or that. That may not be as feasible or as easy as they, they think it could be. So it's still open to the debate and open to the discussion on how in how pragmatic these certification programs could be. Because on one side, we understand that they are there to give the roaster and the final consumers some type of safety net saying things are being done correctly. But then on the other side, we that are the ones helping on the implementation can tell you, hey, there's, there's sometimes that that is not an, a black or white type of approach. It's more a gray. Uh, and the gray is not always bad or, or good. It's just uh, the way it is, you know? So uh, I do think they, they are playing an important role uh, on credibility, on differentiation, on helping on social and environmental practice. In our last episode with Carlos, we spoke at length about carbon credit programs at farm level. And now that we've established that coffee farm shade trees alone sequester so much carbon, I'd like to replay Carlos's insights on the potential for green credits for coffee farmers. Now, there's this other trend. Some will say it's new, some will say it's old, some will say it's still not yet there, but it's on paying for the environmental services that a farm provides. Green credits, carbon credits, environmental service payments. What does this mean, Jeff? So let's say you have a river in your plantation or you have a water spring in your plantation. You also have some trees. So if you're the owner, you can decide, I'm going to chop the trees. But what if in the overall income of the coffee, somebody would also be paying for you to keep those trees alive? How about if in that price of coffee, somebody will be paying you to protect that water spring that you have? So there you can have a better layout of all the products and services that you do as a farmer that are not only coffee, because there's some other environmental services that could be linked to that coffee production. Are you seeing in some of the farms that you work with, there is a sort of a presence now of carbon credits, green credits? So I don't think the carbon credit industry in the supply chains that we manage is that developed yet. What are the efforts that Volcafeway is doing as of today? As of today, the efforts are on collecting the carbon, water, and energy footprint on the different regions that we have a specific supply chain with a major partner that is interested in understanding that number. So based on this, we can say, okay, Jeff's farm has this carbon footprint, either positive or negative, depending also on the offsetting that you have. But at the end of the day, we can calculate that overall number, not only on an individual farm basis, but also on a regional basis so that we can work 
on what needs to be done and also who is willing to pay for that. So now it's more common that you sit on a table with your partner and say, okay, what are your SDGs? What are the goals you're trying to pursue? What are your indicators? How can we make sure that those are going to happen on the supply chain that you have? And that's where Volcafe Way comes to implement those uh, ideas or gather those indicators so that we can then help the partner report on these indicators and also tell that to their consumer base and say, hey, yes, we're making a progress or this was more difficult than we expected or whatever it is. Thanks so much for joining us, Carlos. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. We've come a long way as an industry from the 1990s in terms of environmental sustainability at farm level. Vast full-sun monocultures have gone out of fashion, partly helped by the role of certifications to create a market for sustainably produced coffee. The next bottleneck in achieving even better environmental sustainability comes down to farm profitability, for which the specialty industry is developing a number of promising solutions. I'm hopeful for the future because carbon credit initiatives provide the double benefit of addressing retail coffee's carbon footprint while offering coffee farmers additional revenue. The call to action is clear. We in coffee consuming communities, including the coffee shops, the roasters and the drinkers, we all have a responsibility to ensure farmers receive enough financial return for their long-term viability and we must consciously contribute to systems and infrastructure that enable sustainable coffee farming. And that's all this week for the Fifth Wave podcast. Please subscribe to Fifth Wave wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd really appreciate a good rating if you enjoyed this show. And get in touch and tell us what topics are important to you so we can make the show more relevant to you and to your business. You can follow the link in the show notes to worldcoffeeportal.com slash fifthwave. This episode was produced in the one and only Serendipity Studios in glorious Camden, North London. It was produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, the World Coffee Portal team, James Harper of Filter Productions, and sound engineering by Chris Bristow. We leave you with a track about the plight of the coffee farmer. It's called Hot Coffee by St. Amour featuring Nutty P. Have a great week, and until next time, stay safe and stay caffeinated. Bob when he's out on that farm working like a dog. I can't.